So the reason why I always came back to, 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 to Australia to do a business and to cook is because we have the best standard of living and some of the best produce in the world and the best opportunity where you can make anything out of anything if you, you know, have the smarts about it or the, an idea. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Growing up in a mixed family with different heritage and cultures is not uncommon to most people in Australia, but what impact does that have on a career and approach as a chef? For Adam De Silva, it's about embracing the beauty of it all and nuancing it to create the best possible eating and dining experiences. Adam, how are you? Great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, it's great It's great to get you on the show. You're a busy man doing many things. What, what are you up to at the moment? Um, well, lots of balls in the air. Uh, so I've got a new project in, uh, in the pipeline and it's an exciting one because it's a new restaurant uh, in Alphington, in the suburb in, the, in Melbourne, in the suburb of Alphington. Uh, it's been in the, on the boil for a while and it's going to come to fruition uh, the start of 2024. And it's a restaurant, uh, like a wine bar and a, an event space also called Decker. Which is exciting because um, it's also in my hood, you know, where I've grow, grow, grown up, grown up in, and also where I've been. And also, I've got a gelati shop down the road. Um, I've got to uh, live up the road, and uh, my kids go to school around here. So it's all kind of gone back. I've gone to the burbs, sh- should I say? <laughs> I've left. I've left the big smoke of the CBD, and uh, you know, like every, like most a lot of restaurateurs now, and I guess the suburbs where it's at because. Uh, you know, I guess what COVID and what the city is, what, what's, what it's done to the city. Yeah. Well, there's a lucky residence in that community because you've had a stellar career to date and to bring all of that sort of to the local community is pretty amazing. Um, tell us a little bit about sort of growing up. You mentioned you sort of grew up in that area. Um, what was things like for you as a kid and, you know, what, what role did food play? Uh, well, growing up in a obviously Indian and Italian um, household where a, there was a bowl of pasta and a curry and rice on the table every night, and I also grew up in a butcher shop. I was born into I was born in born into a butcher shop, so we're talking about um, you know pork or pigs, and uh, you know instead of instead of staring there looking at toys, I used to stare there <laughs> stare at the back. You know, I was after school, you know, kid just staring at you know pigs hanging upside down, and <laughs> thought that was quite scary, but it was, but it was quite normal. So <laughs> that was. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of people don't know. I was a bear, grew up as a, as a you know as a butcher's son, so um, always around food and I was going to say meat. So um, you know, kind of meat runs through my my, my veins, should I say? <laughs> Do you remember anything sort of from your father's butcher in regards to pork, like sausages or cuts or anything like that, or any stories? Yeah, because he used to make all our um, own sausages, um, so I had a selection of them. I think it was one of the first butchers to really to like fl- flavor sausages because it used to just be the plain old, um, you know, um, barbecue sausages or you know, beef barbecue sausages or, or, you know, little thin pork sausages. But to do the Italian style sausages, which are very, uh, you know, look, I've got there's a couple of butchers that I love to go to now. Um, but do to proper traditional Italian sausage. So there's, a, there's Brenta meats in Fairfield, which is just, you know, down the road from Elfington. And there's also Nino and Joe's um, in Brunswick there, and they do authentic, you know, real deal 
pork sausages where kind of just brings you back to, you know, being in, being in Italy, eating some pork sausages, should I say. <laughs> Do you have any stories of the influence of your family sort of cooking-wise with, with such incredible sort of different cuisines and cultures as a mix there? Can you take us through some of that? Yeah, well, growing well, my, my nonna, because um, obviously my mum my mum migrated from Italy at a young age. And so, you know, at my nonna's house, it was full on its own kind of self-sufficient, uh, house that you know at the front of the house there was all fruit trees and um, you know grape vines from you know fit the fig tree to uh, to locusts or nespole you'd call it the little yellow fruit which is not very well known here but that's what we grew up eating uh, there was apple trees there was plum trees and then at the back was a whole veggie patch ranging from beans to zucchini to pumpkins you know to the chickens to prickly pears you know, the choco to a chicken pen. And then there was like a, you know, a shed where they had the um, the wine press where my nonna would make, um, you know, press press the wine and then, you know, make make our own sausages and salami. So it was just, uh, that was just kind of uh, our playground. That was our backyard, you know. So instead of, you know, we weren't really playing with toys. We're kind of picking um, vegetables out of the ground. You know, I remember eating our first car was kind of pulling it out of the ground. And then, um, you know, climbing the fig tree was our kind of fun and entertainment to try and see how high we could get to grab the, the highest figs. You know, we were sent up there, you know, uh, we know, you know, just as you would back in the day, just sent up there <laughs> free to fall off. <laughs> there were, yeah, there were no need for helmets in those days. <laughs> no, yeah. So that was just, that was just kind of uh, how just kind of grew up. And I just thought everyone grew up like that also going back, you know, 40 odd years ago. Is, is there any sort of um, pork dishes that you remember from from your nonna that um, you could share with us? Yeah, well, every time they would make um, like a sauce, or like or even a bolognese sauce, or just even there was always there was always pork ribs in the sauce, and it's very quite a um, you know southern thing to do where you you make a bolognese sauce, you know, you know, obviously you know, using pork or pork and veal, and they would always throw the the ribs of the pork in there. Or even when you made meatballs, there would be the the ribs of the pork, um, whether it's be the spare ribs and that thrown in there, and that was always that meat was taken out, put on a put on a plate, and then the pasta would homemade pasta, uh, which was you know I remember also you know spinning spinning the wheel for the pasta machine for my nonna, and you know. Eating raw gnocchi dough because gnocchi was the first thing that I, you know, I learned how to make. Um, you know, as a as a four year old, pretty much. And so the, the, that pasta was always cooked and tossed through the sauce, and then you'd eat the the um, the ribs, the pork ribs afterwards. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, so that was just kind of that's how it was, and um, you know, one one thing that I'd always did as a kid, and even now, it's, I, I would never, I always used to eat my salad first because I didn't like eating pasta out of a dirty bowl, and this is something that just went on for, forever as a, as a child. And when I look back on it, I'm like, why why wouldn't they just give me another bowl after I've ate ate the pasta? But it was just one of those things where I think growing up, sometimes in those you know households where you just kind of ate off that one plate, and that's it. You didn't do any dirty any other plates. But uh, when you look at it now, how you eat in a restaurant, you know, you change your, change your plate every five seconds <laughs> to eat something different. So that's what I do now anyway with my kids. <laughs> it's a good rule for kids to get them to eat salad when they're hungry before they eat. Yeah, correct, <laughs> correct. Um, and the Indian side as well, you mentioned. Did, it's, tell us a little bit about what that was like as a kid and the influence in the household. 
Yeah, well, that was a big, so it was, you know, big, big influence as well. Because when we used to have family get-togethers, you know, birthdays and all that kind of stuff, there'd be one table full of, like, lasagnas and stuff like that. And the other table would be full of, like, chili chicken and biryani and bonders. And it was just this whole, you know, it was so, such a clash of um, cuisines. But um, I guess, you know, I, lo- I loved eating both of them. And that's kind of just grew up. And that's kind of thing gave me my kind of love for, I guess you know curries and Asian food, and hence why that's how Tonka was born. Uh, you know, ten years ago, because of um that that influence. And I thought, you know, we'll just do a modern modern Indian restaurant. But the key the key difference, uh, I guess, growing up in that Italian Indian um, household is that my mother used to make curries using olive oil and not ghee, which made it quite lighter. Uh, because, you know, ghee is obviously quite prevalent in Indian. In Indian, Well, they like to use it all the time. Where Because my mum used olive oil, it was – and I took – sorry, because my mum used olive oil, I took that to, um, you know, when I did Tonka, not to use any ghee because we wanted to make – it was also a hard sell because we wanted people to eat Indian. And, they, and historically, when people eat Indian, it's very heavy and, you know, it can be quite stodgy or heavy. So to use that method, and um, that's why I called Tonka a ghee-free – kitchen because we didn't use any ghee the only ghee we used was on naan brush you know brush the naan when it came out of the tandoori oven when did you first sort of start to think of um a career as a chef and and what were the sort of first steps that you made uh i guess i was just from me from a young age i know this sound you know probably cliche but it was from a young age of just being around food that i actually just loved food and i loved because i was given the privilege to I mean, I was also, also forced, not forced into it, but it was right in front of me that I just loved food and, you know, my nonna and my zia would always let, let, let me be involved in the cooking process, which I think is important these days, you know, to try encourage kids. Um, you know, you've got young kids, I've got young kids, and to get them in the kitchen, you know, you got sometimes you got to bite your, your lower lip a bit because they make a lot of mess or, you know, make them this thing. But, you know, I think you got to be patient with it and get them involved because, you know, it's not even it's not as a career, but just to educate them about food and flavours and textures. So I was just always surrounded by that. And then I kind of just had this, you know, love for it. And I thought, you know what, I just I might, I might think I want to cook. But I didn't realise um, what was like to be a professional chef because I, I you know, during my schooling, I went and did work experience at different restaurants. You know, during my school holidays, I'd go and work in a restaurant for a couple of weeks just to kind of work out whether I liked it or not. And just, I went to quite a few restaurants. Um, my first one being a restaurant that existed in Turak Village called Viali, which is no longer there, but that was my first restaurant I worked in. And then I would do other jobs like kitchen and jobs. And then during my year 12, I made pizzas three nights a week. Um, we had an old Italian guy and I used to do that, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights and then go to school and fall asleep. But that was like kind of go to school on Monday and fall asleep. But that was kind of what I loved to do. It was really cool, you know, my mum, because my mum was like, you know, well, you're no good at school, so you might as well get you to work. And that's what she did. She sent me to work. So, and then I pretty much started my apprenticeship straight after I finished year 12. You're a mentor to to many chefs these days, but who are the really important sort of people for you as you built your career, and what influence did they have? Um, well, there was yeah, well, Jeff Lindsay and uh, Martin Martin Burtz were my two, I guess, greatest influences in in uh, my cooking. 
um, because learning Asian, you know, and obviously Andrew Gunn, who also owned Pearl at that stage with Jeff Lindsay, he was a big influence because he, he allowed me to grow as a chef and with my career and was really supportive of it. So, and, um, and then Marty was great. And that's where, that's when I really kind of honed and learned Asian cuisine or modern Asian and Thai, Thai food. So, which then kind of, I kind of lent towards that because earlier in my career, I did Italian. I went and worked in Italy for a year when I was in my mid-20s, which was um, a pivotal time because it was just great to go overseas and work in another country where, you know, I didn't – I understood the language, but I didn't really speak the language, but just to experience a different culture and how they just, you know, really did it over there. Like, you know, because there's only really one, one, one cuisine in Italy, you know, that you kind of learn where, you know, mon, um, Australia is such a multicultural uh, – you know, melting pot of different cuisines. So that was a pivotal moment. And then just coming back and deciding to cook Asian food because I was actually going to work, it was, either, it was a choice to either work for Jeff Lindsay or for work for Greg Maloof. So I was going to go down that Middle Eastern um, angle. But for some reason I chose um, Jeff Lindsay's food because, you know, I thought I'm not an Asian. I liked it. You know, it was, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a hit restaurant. Back in the two, early two thousands, and um, yeah, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And that's kind of like I was there for seven odd years before opening Coda. Take us, take us back to Italy for a moment. Do you have any stories of sort of an ex, you know experience that you had during your time there? Yeah, well, I cooked in a few places because um, my Zil Mario, he organised me to go to go to Italy. Goes thought it'd be good for me, and I was like that stage where I was either like you know go to London or go to Italy. And I thought you know I'll go to Italy, and I did that. And I was just, I started in Umbria, which was great, which was a great you know kind of in you know inland. And then I ended up working on the um, east coast of the Adriatic in a fish restaurant, which was amazing. It was right on the right on the beach and, you know, had a Vespa, lived in the, lived in a small town called Loreto, which has like the second biggest church in Italy. And it was like living the whole full lifestyle, you know. You have the, you know, pomeri jaw they call in the afternoon where you have either have an afternoon nap or, you know, you go lie on the beach or, you know, or you go to the local um, cafe and have beer have have beer have beers as some some would do, you know. But uh, that was a great experience and it was great it was a great you know, you look at it and see how times have changed, and uh, just working six doubles at six doubles a, a week. You know, back then, and I think they still probably do it now in Europe. But you know, it's, it's totally different work ethic than what is over here. You mentioned uh, you spend a lot of time with Jeff Lindsay. Do you have any stories of what he's like to work with? Uh, no, he was great. He was fantastic. Very creative. Um, you know, it was a kind of chef that, you know, when he walked into the kitchen that you kind of got nervous about, you know, you're always, you're not, I'm not on edge, but you were very nervous because, you know, you expected the, he expected the best from you and, you know, and always a very, really high standard, which then kind of filtered into the way that you would run a kitchen, you know, is in a really high standard, work clean, work, you know, be very, very, very creative with the food, um, and it was a style that I liked and, uh, you know, inherited, you know, it was, it was very, it was very kind of pivotal, you know, pivotal, pivotal moment, you know, because there's another chef, you know, that was born out of that kitchen was Nick Holloway from Nunu up in um, Palm Cove. We worked together for a couple of years. So, um, yeah, it was a really, and, you know, it was one of those things where you just loved going to work. You loved, just loved, because there was always something new happening. There was always some new different ingredients or new or dishes. I love the collaboration that we had, you know, coming together. Because I think sometimes the, the, well, the best collab, the, the best 
dishes you know, evolve out of, you know, a couple of chefs coming together and you really kind of create it together because you can give, you know, positive and um, fair feedback on the dish and then that's how it kind of gets refined. Were there any sort of pork dishes from that era in that kitchen that you remember that you could share with us? Uh, yeah, well, we did, we, did a, we did a scallop and pork dish, which was um, quite – was quite good. It was always on the menu, an entree, seared scallops and um, beautifully roasted um, pork belly. There's another, and then there's another pork dish which was fantastic. Did at Long Grain, where we used to steam the pork belly, prick the skin, and all the beautiful, you know, fat would, would ooze out of it, and then we'd put in a vinegar and sea and a sea salt slurry. Um, and then you would rub that all over the pork, and then just let it hang for for a few days in the in the cool room. And then you would deep fry the piece of pork, take the excess salt off, and deep fry it. And it has the most amazing crackle in, like rock hard and, and infallible. It's amazing. Then we used to slice that up and toss it like in a green mango salad with either prawns or calamari or squid. And that was another way. That was another way of um, you know doing the pork. And uh, and then I guess my, I guess one of my other favourite pork dishes I used to do when I first opened Coda was a suckling pig mortadella. So I used to get I used to get a, a whole suckling pig, um, debone debone the saddle, um, brine the legs, the four, the four the four legs and the hind legs. I used to brine those and sell them separately. But then I used to roll, make a mortadella mix, fill the pork, fill the fill, fill the saddle, roll it like a mortadella, and then steam it. And then um, once it's all cooked, used to just slice it like this mozzarella, but it had like the outside of the whole suckling pig. So that was um, a great dish. And then you used to make, um, you know, head cheese with the with the suckling pig head. Amazing. You, you mentioned that Marty Boats as well was a big influence on you and you'd mentioned a long grain dish there. He's, he's been on the show before as well and a, a real legend of the industry. What, what's, what's he like to work with? Uh, yeah, he was good as well. <laughs> he was, you know, same thing. They're very like, um, um, what do you call it? Hard but fair, you know. But expected, but also expected the best out of you, you know. So there was always a high standard of just, you know, doing the best, producing the best food, um, working cleanly because that would be the thing. Like if you worked clean as a chef and you, you know, you know, very pedantic and particular about things then that reflected on the way you would serve the food and the food that you created. So it was very like, yeah, it was, it was great times. I think that was really, you know, it was really great times. So it's just one of those things where, you know, we achieved great food and great, they were great restaurants. You've um, had a huge impact on Melbourne's dining landscape, you know, and Coda and Tonka for all those years is a huge influence. What, what was it like getting those up and running for you? What were the challenges that you had? Oh, they were, they were great because, you know, we went down Flinders Lane when there was only pretty much Cumulus up the road and there was a press club press club around the corner. So going back 15 years ago when Flinders Lane wasn't really, you know, Flinders Lane was considered not the golden mile that it is today. It was, you know, we opened in the GFC in 2009. So we're taking a gamble back then. We took we took over a Greek restaurant called Mini. Um, and I thought there was Ezard's down Flinders Lane as well. Back then, they were, the, they were the only like four restaurants really there, and so it was just it was an exciting time because it was like, you know, I was taking the concept of Coda was I was taking I guess 
the concepts of pearl and long grain, but making it more in a, more of a casual tapas style. So more like what Movita was doing. So I thought, you know, taking making modern modern mod Asian mod Oz food and just making it casual and accessible and just tasty. And that's what that's what kind of morphed into that concept. So and then now we're just seeing the street grow. You know, and then Chin Chin appeared and. Um, you know, we did we Tonka a couple of years later, and then now you got now you got all these other restaurants like Gimlet and Kizume and Super Super Normal and Hazel and you know Grill Americano. They're just they're just there's Chaconis. They're all there. You know, so it's a great little strip. So it was just interesting. It's just great to see how it transformed. You know, because I remember back in the day when um, Garden State Hotel was owned by Ronnie D'Astasio, um, called Rosati's. You know, I went there as a teenager. <laughs> so to see it, you know, that was like you never used to drive down Flinders Lane and now it's kind of the, the, you know, the epicentre of uh, restaurants. Being, everyone would always go. To, that's that's the that's mile of we'd go, go to dine in the city. Um, it's, it's well known how important pork is to Italian cuisine. Did it weave a thread through the Tonka menu at all for you? Yeah, we had some we had some pork on there, but um, we would do you know obviously there's pork belly, so we'd do something with the pork belly, whether it be roasted, um, um, and then also also deep fried, so make it nice and crunchy, and toss it through a curry. Um, one thing one thing I didn't do is probably do a suckling pig. Um, tandoori. That's one thing. <laughs> that would be, but it's very, very, it's very hard with all the fat. But um, <laughs> but we, <laughs> but we also had a pork chop on the um, a pork chop on the menu as well. So we'd put that on the char grill. So it had some nice thing, some sort of garam masala, um, and fennel, fennel and apple on it as well. So. Very versatile, very versatile. Carries carries flavour as well because it's not overpowering. It, it's not all that long ago that you uh, let go of the world of Coda and Tonka. What, what was that like for you and, um, you know, what were the positives that have come out of that? Um, it was, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's quite, um, can be quite emotional also because you're leaving brands that you created and started and, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, reinventing yourself again, which is very exciting um, so it's kind of like, you know, gone from one thing to another, which has been fantastic and have this opportunity in, uh, with Decca in Elfington and then to, you know, be the, just solely own that outright. Um, it's fantastic and it's exciting. And I guess it's, um, you know, you look at other chefs and how they reinvent themselves, you know, the McConnells and the Neil Perry's of the world kind of reinvent themselves with new restaurants. So you're excited to be able to like, you know, I think that's time for, for it and, um, going to a different area and stage, you know, so now I'm, you know, in my mid forties, mid to, you know, I'm on the, I've reached the, the second part of my forties, I should say, <laughs> which makes me, makes me feel older when you, you know, start to, you know, uh, work with people that, you know, you're old enough to be their, their parent makes you feel old. <laughs> so exciting, but you know, look, it was, uh, it was a, a bit of a sad, sad thing that could have ended a bit more amicably, you know, but obviously it didn't on that one perspective. So, but, um, you know, I'm looking to forward to it's a new chapter in my life, which is great and exciting and, uh, you know, secretly glad to be out of the CBD because, uh, you know, it's just getting harder and harder there. Yeah, I want to touch on that because did the, you know, the, the 
the last couple of years have been challenging for everyone, and Melbourne, particularly in regards to restaurants, found it really tough. It, did COVID have an impact on kind of the direction you wanted to take your career? Uh, I th- yeah, I think it just kind of just changed how we kind of all worked and how what what was happening around and you know recovering from COVID, as you know. A lot of businesses have got a lot of COVID hangover with, you know, debts that they probably, you know, held off, you know, with rents and stuff like that. And also just thinking that it's kind of you make you rethink your business because it's just getting harder and harder in hospitality with with wages and food costs and rents that how can you create a, f- a formula that is going to be successful be able to, to be able to make enough money to survive which is, I think, the hardest thing, you know. So, you know, I think, and I think there's a different needs for people. Like people want event spaces. They want, they don't want to pay too much money, but they want value for money. So it's a very, very tight, you know, tightrope to walk along to get that balance right. Um, you've, you've been involved in so many sort of events and cooked all over the world. And um, it's been a real sort of key part of your career, particularly in the last decade. Is there any sort of standout event or um, thing that you've been part of as, on your travels? Uh, oh, look, I think there's, I mean, there's so many to list because they're, they're all different. But, you know, traveling through, you know, cooking in India was a highlight um, for me when I first did, I've done that, you know, half a dozen times cooking Australian high commission. And I can tell you the funniest thing about going to India, my first, my first meal when I landed there back in, I think it was 2010, I was doing, I did like Asia's longest lunch outside the Grand Hyatt in Mumbai. And I got, I got greeted by the chefs there. And then it was an Italian chef that was, it was an Italian chef that greeted me. And, um, the first meal, he goes, do you want something to eat? Cause I've landed about, I think about 11 o'clock at night. I said, sure. So what, we ended up. What I ended up eating was a pizza with Parma ham, obviously pork, <laughs> buffalo mozzarella on it, and drinking a, a, a glass of Chianti wine. And I'm like, going, is this the most surreal thing? Where my, you know, half Italian, half Indian. My first meal in India is pizza. <laughs> and Italian wine. So I, like that. I still think that's one of my one of my highlights, I guess, <laughs> of travelling to you know a country of origin. So, and the funny thing is, and this might sound, you know, people might think I'm crazy, but, you know, I was just obviously in India. I was in India last year. But uh, one of the things I do eat the most of, and people think will think I'm crazy, but the thing I eat the most in India is I eat Italian food in India because the, the chefs there are all, you know, from, from Italy and they cook amazing Italian food. And, um, you know, as I said, I can't really stomach too much ghee, so I'm going to be selective on um, how much Indian food I would I, I, eat, I eat. But um, yeah, that's pretty. That's that's, my, that's how I kind of you know, operate through India. <laughs> What's it like for you cooking at these sort of big events in these different you know, countries? Sometimes representing you know Australia or an idea. Is what are the challenges and exciting parts of that? Oh, look, it's very challenging, especially in like places like. India, Asia is great. Singapore, I cooked in Singapore like you know every year, which is fantastic because like for Singapore, you could walk into the cool rooms there. Um, I always cook at the Grand Hyatt, and you know you'd see chickens from Brazil, you see eggplant from Holland, you see tomatoes from Australia, um, you got oysters from you know Ireland and Scotland, and you know you got Scot- Scottish salmon. It's just really bizarre. It's like this international like just bizarre all the ingredients because i don't, obviously don't grow any of it there uh the challenges of say like india is that 
the produce is very hard. Like it's very – until like, you know, they always want me to confirm the menu before I get there. And I'm like, I'm not going to confirm the menu until I see the, the produce itself because it can be a bit, you know, um, up and down. So the challenges, but it's also translating your food using um, their produce, which is great also because, you know, there's some great produce around. You know, cooking in America is fantastic. You know, I think, I think you know, LA and New York have a sim- similar um, standard of produce that we have, you know, because they can grow it all year round. So, you know, America's fantastic as well. Um, and I just think it's great just seeing different cultures, being, 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 you know, under the skin, for example, whether it's in Hong Kong or, you know, in Fiji or, you know, being in the skin underneath, in the, in the back, in the, in the bowels of the, of the kitchens is fantastic because meeting, meeting different people, all different cultures and seeing all different food, I, I really love it. It's like a kind of bit of a buzz. You mentioned that um, DECA will open uh, early in 2024. Um, what, what direction are you taking the food in given, you know, your – your skill sets lie in so many different cuisines. Yeah, well, that's well. I'm taking the food direction I'm taking is more of a mod Oz bistro, and it's it's a it's a broad. I'm using a broad brush with that description because uh, I am going to have like half a dozen pastas. I'm going to make make my own pasta, but I'm going to have a, um, a char grill there. You know, charcoal grill there to do some some meat and seafood, but also just keep it just really, you know. Uh, just homely, should I say, and accessible. Where I'm just not going to be, it's going to be you know, not too complicated because also, you know, I've got I want to cater for the for the for the residents and for the for the for the suburbs, but just keep the food simple and tasty. You know, there'll be there'll be some little you know splashes of uh, my Asian through it as well because you know when you def- when you define modern Australian, modern Australian is uh, all cuisine. So I guess I'm going to cook food that I, that I still like to eat, you know. So it might have a more of a vein of, say, Kodo in it with, you know, a pasta section. So, yeah, my kids are looking forward to it because they're like, Dad, we'll come and eat some, you know, come and eat, pa- come and eat, come and eat your pasta every night, come and eat your bolognese. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to have my kids bowl my, my, which they love the most. That's going to, that's going to feature somewhere on, you know, the specials, specials board or the kids menu, my bolognese, uh, bolognese, should I say. So things like that, but just simple, simple, honest food is where I'm at, you know, where just using restraint, but food that people want to eat every, once a week. You know, I want to become a weekly restaurant, um, but also obviously, you know, have a bit of my kind of Asian touch through it. it sounds amazing. Well, um, it's I can't wait to see what's going on there. You had such an amazing impact over, um, you know, a couple of decades in Melbourne. There, what, what do you love about what you do? Uh, what I well, I, I love what I do because I just think it's. I mean, I've been fortunate also in my career to um, have so many different experiences and opportunities. Where I just think, I mean, I love it because we're just we're constantly evolving, and I think we we live in one of the best food countries in the world. You know, we're up, and I, I don't know, you probably don't believe it, but after traveling the world, I always say the reason why I always came back to, 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 to Australia to do a business and to cook is because we have the best standard of living and then some of the best produce in the world and the best opportunity where you can make anything out of anything if you, you know, have the smarts about it or the, an idea, you know, where I find other countries, once you're kind of maybe stuck in a kitchen, you can't, it's very hard to progress to become, say, a restaurateur and own your own business and stuff, where I think in Australia we've got this opportunity, which we're blessed with. 
Yeah, agree totally. Well, Adam, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to catch up with you and um, look forward to seeing what you do there with Decca. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstart. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.